At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. guys we are back at it the first week after the new year i guess is that's what it it's kind of weird we were talking about before we had recorded that this is episode 226 bro 226 this is your boy east coast trev and i'm joined my good buddy mr madman mardik oh my jesus thank you thank you no thank you thank you no who what, what who even gave you those buttons bro I just learned Horn new Or did stuff they think that it was a good it. idea for you to use them? I just push buttons sometimes and just like, what does this do? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are too kind. You're too <laughs> whatever it takes, buddy. <laughs> whatever it takes, my friend. Well, hey, you know, deer season's over and now what are you gonna do with your life? It is officially over, man. I'm daydreaming about sheds already though. Yeah. Big time. You're not the only one, and I've seen no. a couple people have found them, and I've been out shed hunting once already, and it's always it's always good when that stuff happens. Yeah, it's so hard, right? Because this happens every year. You'll see a couple pictures pop up on social media of maybe a couple finds, or people will post a couple trail camera pictures of that's clearly a buck that drops. And everybody, including us, gets excited and wants to get out there, but you kind of know, right, to just – you got to wait because just because one buck dropped, 90% of your other bucks are still holding. Unless it's like a known shooter target buck, like you really want that deer sheds, sometimes you're just – I don't know, man. It's hard. So let's hit that nail on the head real quick because one of the things for me, like – so you always wait until February, right? Like February – I Try to. You go like Valentine's Day, and one of the things yeah. is like – one of those areas and, you know, with being an avid shed hunter is, you know, 
I work like in a circle, right? So the bedding's in the middle and I just work those feeding grounds on the outside, like where those deer aren't going to be that time while you're in the woods. Because if you start to push yourself into those areas where you know that those deer are holding up at that time, you're going to push those deer out of there. It's just like during the rut when putting the pressure on those deer that like you go into those areas, you can push that deer out of the, and your neighbor will end up with your shed. There is no right. doubt about it. No doubt right. about it. And those deer will Absolutely. be put into an area, and then you're not getting the – yeah, you're going to maybe end up with his antler, but you're not going to get the intel that you want. And that's it. Now that shed hunting has become such a big thing with so many people finding the white gold, right, it makes it tough because, like, you want to be the first one in there to find your antler, but right. you don't want to be in there too soon. But then you're too, always worried right. if somebody else is in there, like – so it's – it, it's almost no different than early season hunting, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want to wait until it's prime and the buck's killable, but you wait and somebody else is in there too early, mm-hmm. messing things up or whatever. It's going to make it worse for you. Yeah. And, and the other big thing too that comes into play for me is public land or private land. You know, right. I might I might pop around and bebop around a piece of public, especially like a really popular one where, you know, other people are definitely going to be doing that as well and and sit on your privates and th- you know aside from trespassers no one's going to beat you to your sheds on private no one else should should be there right so you can wait a little bit longer make sure everybody sheds out go in there and scoop them up so that's one of the things too like even like i go into like land like like conservation land or areas that a lot of people may go in and shed hunt but those antlers mean nothing to you right like there's not an intel it's not yeah it's nice to find them especially having the dog like you're just putting them putting the dog in an area where you can find a ton of antlers and like that's where i put a ton of pressure in or you know you can you can then go into an area where it's it doesn't matter you know like i'm but i'm not going in my prime spot like if i know that that deer is in there like yeah it's a burner spot. It is totally you know? a burner spot. For like sure. I said, it's the same thing with some, some every once in a while you'll do a hunt like that in early September, right? Like, eh, you don't really want to push in tight on a, on a big buck that's not daylighting, right? So you just, you just go to a burner spot for the night and see what happens. Absolutely. Hey man, do you have any killer's corners for us? I do. All right. Rip them off. We got Alexandra Fagan crushing it on the trap line and, uh, She's uh, putting the hammer down on some skunks, and you know that's uh, a little payback for me. Uh, Buddy the Elf, Santa, gave him a little time off after Christmas, and uh, he was able to get out and get himself a nice big doe. That's so, funny. So Buddy Buddy texted me, right? So, like, you know, and it's always this ongoing joke. Like, but, So I hang out with Buddy a ton, and I hang out with Chase with his son. And um, I see him down at the local watering hole a lot, and uh, we – after he'd shot that deer, I'd seen him, you know, and he's like, you know, he's like, oh, I shot, a, I shot one finally. And I'm like, you shot one. You sent me a text message and it said, it's been a year or something or one year to the date I haven't shot a deer or something. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, um, I thought that it's been a year since you shot a deer. I didn't know. But it was almost to like the the minute. It was really? one year to the minute well, that he shot was- his last year the year before. But it, it, it all makes sense because he shot it after Christmas. Yeah. So Buddy was busy, you know, before Christmas making toys Working. for Santa. Mm-hmm. Christmas came and, you know, Santa gave him a week off and he was able to get it done. So, you it's know, good, good for him. Prime, 
prime time. I, you know? We just couldn't let. The only thing is, I think that he he put the pressure on because he didn't want Chase to be the only one to shoot a deer this year, dude. He was he was hunting hard, hard. Oh yeah. He, oh yeah. There was there was a little animosity, father son, like a little it. beat down there, I you know. Like and it. finally, came dad came through, so it was good. Cool, uh, buddy Bruce Conroy with a beautiful late season buck. And uh, Ryan Mack and Josh Rakowski's uh, kind of getting a little jump on that squirrel squirrel competition. I know we normally do it in January. <laughs> We've been slacking, bro, slacking. And even if we just do a little one, everyone starts ripping them through. I think it'll be a, right. Not a I bad agree. Idea, I'll be honest. Um, so, well, let's get through the house cleaning, dude. Let's get the sponsors on. I'm excited to get Greg on. Um, we're going to talk a little bit of trapping, something that, you know, we touch base on from time to time. You know, we both have had our hand in it, um, the whole trapping aspect. And I think there's a lot there's a lot of questions from listeners and stuff. So I think it will be – I think I'm looking forward to this podcast. I think it will be good. So uh, we are title sponsored by Huntworth, huntworthgear.com, guys. Go and check them out. Um, some really good late season stuff for you guys still out there grinding or predator hunting or ice fishing. The Matherhorn uh, hunt, hunt, you know, hunting gear is heat probably boost. yeah heat boost. <laughs> uh, they're hunting worth Matherhorn. There's a lot of words. Matherhorn heat boost. Huntworth. Uh, so it's it's <laughs> with warm. the graphene. Yeah, the graph. You just start adding words into it. But go and check those guys out. Huntworthgear.com. They are the official camo of the outdoor drive also nor'easter game calls nor'easter game calls get them in close grunt tubes owl calls you know we're getting into that turkey season the pot calls mouth calls time to get those things in your mouth and start practicing i know none of you guys practice before season you know hunting public i can hear all you guys so now's the time probably to get on over there by <laughs> the some. avian bird flu <laughs> so go and check those guys out nor'eastergamecalls.com latitude latitude outdoors um, if you guys didn't get into the saddle hunting or mobile hunting game or, you know, whatever the case may be for the 2023 season, 2024, there's no better time to start than now. Um, now. Get, get those saddles, mess around with them in the tree. They're all in stock and they will all ship within a couple of days. LatitudeOutdoors.com. And last but not least, Bowhunters United. And I cannot stress it enough to sign up for Bowhunters United. Get on over to BowhuntersUnited.com and sign up. And uh, for those guys that are advocates, um, now's the time where, you know, a lot of the politicians are pushing different things and a lot of things start going and so on and so forth. Now's the time to be informed of what's going on. So you can sign up for free over there at BowhuntersUnited.com. So, well, Stevie, you think maybe... I want to do an owl. I want to do a natural voice owl hooting competition. competition. We can do like a video thing on the yeah. group. We yeah. want to start it off, like maybe tomorrow, post up something. Um, oh, I was, yeah, we can do it now. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Thinking, Get it going. I was, thinking, I was just talking out loud. Yeah, general. so maybe, all right, you start it <laughs> off. You you go on there and you start talking about everyone practicing their owl hooting. And, uh, <clears> well, I'm, time I'm, not, I'm not a big drinker. Uh, like, on a, no joke, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge drinker. You know that. Yeah. My, owl, my owl hoot does come out on, a, on, a, on a night on the town. On a cold one. <laughs> Yeah. So this is what we'll do. We're going to give away a call. Uh, Mark, thank you. I appreciate it. You're going to give away a call for this one. Surprise. Uh, surprise. Thanks. Um, you guys, uh, we will, for the best owl call, we're going to cut this off. Uh, let's say January, February, March. We'll go March 1st. So March 1st, the best owl call by March 1st, we're going to give them 
a credit for an owl call from Nor'easter Game Calls because we're actually in the works of a new owl call for the 2024 season. Ooh, it's well, yeah, I already picked out my blank for that. I can't wait. Um, so how do you want to do that? Should I do a pin post and have um post their yep. submission in the comments for sure. or just do a yeah, okay. No, we can so post it in the, in the comments. Um, yeah, just post it in there, pin it in the comments, and if you guys for you guys on Instagram, just tag us, um, and then we'll go through and vote. The How are we judging one. this? Are we going by like likes, most likes, or are we just gonna? All right, so then gonna, you know what you're right. Or, or, so we'll or, or do, do me it in a and pin you be post. the judge. We'll do pin post most likes on your video in that post. So you got to be part of the Outdoor Drive family. Um, and you got to get on there and then you're going to post in the original post. Steve's going to do his owl call and yeah. then, uh, we're going to post up right there. And then the person with the most likes by March 1st, then you're going to be, you'll get, uh, you'll get a new owl call from Nor'easter when they come out. How's that from Mark? Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> we'll let you know about it tomorrow. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, well, I think that's a good way to, uh, let's get Greg on the phone. All right, buddy. Sounds good. All right, man. All right, guys. We are back on the phone with Greg Staggs. I know that it's a very familiar voice for you. How we doing, Greg? Man, I'm awesome. I'm excited, man. This topic has got me fired up. I know. It's not uh, a... Well, you know what? I thought we were going to talk mobile hunting and saddle hunting, no? Oh, dude. I'm. uh, You know, you and I were messaging each other a couple days ago, man. I love love mobile hunting, love all that stuff, but man, really, uh, you know, there's only so much you can talk about in mobile hunting, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and this is the topic that's near and dear to my heart. I am passionate about this. I know you are, and always for for years following you, and we've always had this this common ground for this. And I think that it, I think that we're gonna have some good conversation, and I think that I think it's a very important thing, you know, like where we we talk about it and it's not something that's talked about a ton. And I think it's something that needs to be brought out definitely in the podcast realm because there's not a lot of it out there. There's really not, honestly, in my opinion. Well, there's, there's not. And, and I think, you know, you gotta be careful when you use this word. I think it, it's largely due to ignorance, right? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that's not a bad thing. It just means it's not understood. It's not talked about to your point. People are, are not knowledgeable. That's what ignorant means, right? It's, it's just people are not knowledgeable about it. And so, so they they wrap all these, you know, fairy tales and and myths and things about, you know, you know, oh, oh if, if a trap gets on your hand, it's going to break your wrist, or you know, you're, you're hurting animals and stuff. You know, there's there's all of this this misconception and misnomers out there, and it's strictly due to because it's not talked about enough. There's there's not enough real world education, especially from knowledgeable people out there that are disseminating information correctly. Well, and it's crazy if when it gets into the wrong hands, it's used against us a lot of the times in the in the trapping world where, you know, some of these organizations, like you had said, a lot of people don't talk about them. But there's a lot of states out there, you know, that's called, like to us, say we'll call it Massachusetts. They can't even use conibears. They can't use right. footholds. You know what I mean? So they're only using live traps because nobody stood up in the ignorance of those people. Where, I mean, I remember days of going to some of these, you know, to some of the state capitals and stuff and kids of eight, ten years old were sticking their hands in, you know, Bridger threes and like <laughs> just a normal life. Like, I can't tell you how many farms that we've gained permission for, especially, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago when my boys were five and six years old. And we'd go up to the landowner and knock on the door and, and you know, we'd ask about, hey, can we have permission to trap coyotes, you know, on your farm? And, 
most of them would say yes, but sometimes there'd be some hesitancy, right? Like, oh, trapping, you know? And my six year, six and seven year old would literally reach in a bag and pull out a bridger number three and go, here, this is all we're talking about. And he'd put it on his hand and put it right in front of his, the guy's face and go, look, it's just restraining us. It's not hurting. And the farmer, you would see their eyes go, oh my gosh, you know, you get a six, seven year old stuck his hand in a trap. Yeah, it's not a big deal. And so, you know, we gained so much permission from, from acts like that of just a visual demonstration of, yeah, it's not what Hollywood is portraying, right? No, and then we start to lose things and people, you know, they think wrong and so on and so forth. But you do bring up a really good point, honestly, is is the youth. Like the youth get to oh. get into this and, and what it is for the youth. I was lucky to learn it at a very young age and run the trap lines as a young kid and skinning and all those things that are now starting to be lost. But like it's it's a very good sport for the youth. It's fun. It's entertaining. I mean, we have a six-year-old that runs a trap line with us every day yeah. and and right. loves it and just catching animals and, you know, understanding wildlife, you know, like skipping school. And we're like, you can learn more on a trap line in one day than you will in a month 100%. in school. 100%. <laughs> I mean, you know, you think about it, and we may have talked about this a little bit at the very end of the last podcast that we all did. But, but, you know, some of the better known and more successful, you know, bow hunters out there that have made their mark in the bow hunting world come from the trapping environment, come from the trapping world. You know, you think of Jim Shockey and Fred Eichler and, and Tom Miranda, all those guys started off as trappers, you know, and they learned their woodsmanship running a trap line. And, and so, you know, I've, I, I actually got checked by a game board a couple of years ago and, and we were just, you know, after checking to make sure my tags were okay and everything, we just started shooting a breeze and, and we got the subject of trapping. I don't even remember how the, the conversation turned here. Like I said, I went in the intro. I'm, I'm passionate about it. It doesn't, doesn't take long talking about outdoors, and it's going to somehow veer into trapping. But but the game warden looked at me, and he goes, man, he goes, trappers are the best outdoorsmen there are in the woods. And, and that was coming from the game warden, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if you can get a youth involved, in, and there's a lot of reasons for it. You know, you and I talked about it a couple of days ago, is that, you know, Kids don't have to be quiet on a trap line. Right. You don't have to shush them. You don't have to be, make them be still. You don't have to bring an iPad with them to, to occupy their time until something shows up. I mean, just run them along the trap line, and they can, you know, see everything there is out there, all the scat, the sign, to help you bed a trap. I mean, my kids are, were putting traps, you know, bedding traps in when they were seven, six, seven years old. And, and you know what? It- it bring you know the point that you just brought up with all those people that are big names in the industry now today like you get to understand those things when we were kids walking around the woods with our fathers and looking at tracks deer tracks deer scat mm-hmm. deer this you know and but when you're on the trap line you're looking for the same you're looking for you know you know um otter toilets and raccoon you know burrow trees and you know all the the dens and all these things and all these prints and all this scat and you're trying to separate all the two and what's in a swamp and what is going on i mean you talking some of the best learned woodsmanship within you know 500 feet of the truck when you're on the trap line you know like you can learn it all so quickly and i think you know to become a woodsman, like, you start to understand, like, you know, like, us as, you know, like, deer hunters, when you walk in the woods and you're like, oh, that's a game trail. And somebody that doesn't know it is like, that's right. a game trail? Yeah, you ever seen, like, when you start seeing yeah. mink running around banks and stuff, like, you, it's tough to tell. So, once you see it yeah. in the big woods, it's a bigger thing, right? So, you become a better woodsman right. at that point. Absolutely. And then, and then on the flip side, on, on the 
back end side of it, you know, when you bring those little guys along and, and they get to see a, a live coyote, a live fox, a live bobcat sitting in the tra- in the catch circle, and you you know you can point out the catch circle and say, okay, that that animal can move to to that limit, you know, because of the, mm-hmm. the trap chain, and you can walk up to here and stand here to look at him, you know, and and I've got so many great pictures. I mean, I've got a back wall. I'm kind of looking over my left shoulder. I've got a back wall that's just covered with my boys you know, sitting in behind a coyote or something like that. And it's so funny, Trevor, we have, we have guests come over from, you know, do a church dinner or something like that. They'll come down and they're, they're looking around at all the animals and the mounts and stuff, but they always gravitate to those pictures, that wall of pictures where the boys are sitting there behind a bobcat or a coyote and they just stare and they're like, and, and, and the, the, the question usually gets asked like, is that a lie? <laughs> what? Yeah. You know, we didn't, we didn't prop him up there. That's a live coyote. You know, and, and they're, you know, they're, their minds are just blown. They're like, how's he sitting there? You know, <laughs> they, they're like, well, that, that trap is kind of restraining him there. He can't go anywhere. So, uh, but, but that's so cool is letting the kids see all that experience that, you know, that unfortunately 95% of Americans don't get to see. Yeah, and that's one of the things, too, to be, be able to get close to those animals, see the reaction of those animals when they're put in that type of situation. I mean, like, it's incredible. It's something that, like, yeah. you'll never be able to see other than on a trap line. Like, and, and coming along with that, I know we're, you know, kind of jumping the gun with some of the stuff that we talk about, but, like, the catch and release aspect of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, managing. I always have to realize that it's not all about killing, right? I mean, that, you know, it, we, as a deer hunter, as other types of things, you know, especially as a deer hunter, you know, once you release that arrow, it's. That it's over. I mean, there's no take. There's no takes backs. You know, I mean, it's it's done. And, and unfortunately, there's been a t- time or two I have shot a, a buck. I'm like, ooh, I wish I hadn't let that arrow go. You know, right. it, but can't. It's dead, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that hunt's over. Your your season's over sometimes if it's a one buck state. And uh, you know, my kids have got to come along on a trap line and watch us catch a, a lot of bobcats. We were talking about that before we got on. Uh, you know, there's animals that are you know lower density. Whether you want to protect a female whatever it is, you know, if it's a small kitten, you know, not a fully grown mature Tom for us, we always let those, those animals go. We let all the female bobcats go. I'm not, I'm not interested in keeping a, a female bobcat. And so my kids have got to watch it like, Hey, we caught it. We had fun with it. We took some pictures and now let's let it go. And it's about its way and it's back to normal. And, you know, it can go out there and, and breed and, and help sustain the population well not even that but like you start to get to some of these rubbing you know like when you have a cold season and then it gets hot and then cold and those those animals are going in and out of dens and burrows and so on and so forth they start to rub the furs no good unless you're you're taking out a population of predators in an area to take them out doing to nuisance or whatever the case may be but if the if it's not prime fur, you just let them go until another season, or they're gonna, you know, like like for example, we've had a couple of years where the price of a fur hasn't been the greatest. So I'm not gonna yeah. go and kill a ton of raccoons when they're not worth anything. I'm not just killing them to kill them. Like we're gonna manage them. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna take out the bigger ones, the more prime ones, let out the let. You know, like those types of things. So it's not. Oh, it's not a kill thing. You're not hurting those animals. Those animals live, and then you catch them another year. Like the traps aren't hurting them. It's just a restraint at that point. I mean, like a dog proof. I mean, for going back on the kids, like 
The dog proof is the easiest setting trap there is. You could set a coon dog proof anywhere. It's easy. It's simple. And you don't have to worry about anything. You know, like a kid can run through with a bag of marshmallows and set 25 coon traps on one farm and just have the greatest time in their life. Like, it's... Absolutely. And it's safe, you know? So my question for you, Greg, is so where did it all start? Like, where did your passion start for trapping? How did you get into it? And, and, and where is it today? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question, Trevor, because I actually wanted to start a long time ago. Uh, we live sort of on the edge of this little town that I grew up in, in the Boot Hill, Missouri. And I, about a five-minute bicycle ride, I could be at, at this, what we call a ditch, a, a creek, a, a small river, we were calling them ditches because they were all man-made in the boot hill that expedited the swamp drainage, right, that, that allowed people to start farming out there. But uh, so I could be at the edge of this creek or ditch. And, and I, w- I rode there every day after because I had no plans of going to college, nothing like that. So, I mean, my life was just fun in high school, right? I went home. I got home from, from school, and, man, I jumped on the bike. I grabbed a fishing pole, a tackle box in one hand, a BB gun, whatever, and I was off to that ditch. And, I mean, I was shooting birds and, you know, catching little small bass and, I was doing all that kind of stuff like that. I'm reading Field and Stream and Outdoor Life, and, and you come across these articles about trapping and stuff. And So I actually went to, to a, a local bookstore or something, and I actually bought a big, thick book on trapping, on how to how to get started and all that. And I read it and read it because I, I had no mentors. I was doing all this on my own. I was It was all self-taught. I was learning as I went. And so I was the only thing I had to learn from was that book, and I read it. I mean, day in and day out, I'd read it, and I'd come across these things about, you know, dying and waxing traps and boiling and this and that. And honestly, I hate to say it because it speaks to the my my willpower and, and personality back then, but I, I gave up on the idea. I thought it was too hard. It was just there was no one, one around to teach me. I didn't have any mentors, and that book seemed very convoluted and very complex. The whole art of, of trapping just seemed way beyond what I could grasp. And so I put it on the back burner for a long time, long time. I was actually married uh, out of college, started on my career, was married. I, I actually had kids at this point, and I was taking a deer mount to my taxidermist. And somehow he had some red fox and gray fox mounted and some other things in his studio, right? And we got to talking about trapping and, you know, canines and things like that. And and he goes, well, I've, I've been trapping for you know a decade or so. And, you know, he goes, I got in. This was my taxidermist speaking. He said, I got into trapping so I could set it, sit outside the catch circle and just study predators live, study their mannerisms, their facial expressions, everything. He just wanted to sit and study them so it would make him a better taxidermist. And, and he literally is a world-class taxidermist, even here in southeast Missouri. He's he's competed in worlds, and his, his mouths are incredible. And But... So we got talking about it, and he said, "Yeah, I'll, if, if you show up Saturday morning at you know six o'clock, you're welcome to." He goes, "I've got an extra four wheeler. You can ride along on the trap line with me." And I, I bet he really didn't expect us to show up at six o'clock, an hour and a half drive away, but we were there. And he took us around and showed us how to bed traps, what traps traps to use, earth anchors. I mean, he showed us everything: how to boil them, how to wax them, everything. And once he showed it in person, I was like, "This isn't that hard." I don't mm-hmm. know why I thought it was that hard. You know, but as a junior high kid trying to read a big, thick book with not a lot of pictures, it just didn't make sense. But when this guy literally physically took me under his wing and mentored me and showed me, I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. And we got to run his travel. We went back a couple, three days. 
and and we actually I actually caught a non-target catch in one of the sets. I actually caught a dog out, a, a domestic dog in one of the canine sets I made. And of course, we just let it go, no big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but you know that was my very first catch on his line. But it was a, a set that I made on his line where he stood over my shoulder and mentored me on how to how to bed it, how to get it firm, how to make the trap not tippy, and all that stuff like that. And so, yeah, that's how I got into it. And after that, I came back and we we basically ordered everything he told us to order. Right. And, and, there. and that's when you bring up a good point with trapping, right? And we talked about woodsmanship and all this other stuff, but it's it's getting to get those animals to step in, we'll call it a one-by-one square. And it yeah. is the hardest thing to do, right? And when you talk bedding for some of the newer listeners that come along, bedding is the most important part to trapping, right? 100%. Because one of the things that happens is when those canines come up to a set, they start to step around. And if they feel any imperfection in the ground, they're out. So you have to now bed that trap properly and get that trap to where it needs to be so that that thing potentially puts it foot in the trap. Like it's not easy. Absolutely. It's funny. I actually shot a video. My son filmed me shooting a video out of our trap, our own personal trap line this morning. Mm -hmm. It'll be on my YouTube channel pretty soon. And the whole the whole concept, the whole video, it was a 15, 20 minute video on how I bed my traps so solidly and the mm-hmm. techniques I've learned. And that was the whole video because you're right, a, a wild animal, a canine, a, a, a coyote, a fox, bobcat, whatever. But specifically today, we were targeting coyotes. They've got a million square miles to roam free, right? And every bit of dirt they walk on is hard packed. It's been there for centuries, right? Unto- undisturbed, untouched. It's hard to their and if they come up in something soft, you know, they're going to pull back and they're going to start either dig at it or flip it up or whatever. They're, they're going to or, – or even if they don't uncover your trap or whatever, they, they may just shy away and just go, be gone. Mm-hmm. You know, so either way, you're not catching that animal, whichever it is. It's kind of crazy, though. One of the things – and I, it still amazes me to the day. Like, when you're, when you're canine trapping or, you know, land trapping and you have a canine and it comes up to the trap and you can literally – put pebble rocks to then put them their foot into the trap so like you can have say a bank a hole say a hole say a dirt hole set so you have a dirt hole you have the the bedded trap now you can take little rocks and kind of funnel their feet right into the trap and it's it blows my mind like it's still to this day yeah as a trapper we call that guiding Mm -hmm. And, and i am i'm really big on subtle guiding uh, you know, if you get on any of these Facebook forums or, or Trapper Man or something like that, a lot of times you'll see a newbie trapper, and they've got these huge big sticks in a V, right? And, and they're like, hey, how's this set look? That's one of the most co- common questions we get uh, uh, you know, in the trapping group. How's this set look as a newbie? I'm like, man, take those big broomsticks sticks away, throw them away. And you, to your point, you can guide it. One of my favorite techniques for guiding is I snap a, a stick. And when I say stick, nothing bigger than my pinky thick finger maybe half the size of my pinky finger and I'll take four or five inches and break it off and then stick it directly sticking straight up and down in the ground. And it looks just like every other piece of stick or, or broken off thorn or whatever there, but I'm sticking it exactly where I want to because the coyote does not want to step on a stick sticking straight up out of the ground. He'll sit beside it. And then I can do, do that in conjunction with a pebble or, or dirt clod or something like that. And you leave a smooth area over at pan. That's where he's going to step. 
So it's funny is that that breaks right into water trapping, right? So foothold water trapping yeah. beavers is the same exact thing. You are literally you are guiding them in into the and in doing the same exact thing. It's a stick up, a pointed up stick. So like if you have, right. and one of the things with them is getting their them to put their feet down, right? Because now they're they're swimming yeah. animals, so getting them to do it. So what you do is on the bank, right at the bank. Where they're going to swim up and it, you're, you're starting to funnel them into the trap there in that area. You put a stick out of the bank that would point in, would hit them right in the chest. So now they stop and they put their foot down. When they put their foot down, you're guiding them right into the trap and lights out. So it, it's virtually dirt to yeah. water is virtually the same exact thing, but just two different animals. And you're, you're, it's wild yeah. that you can get them to do weird things like that. And it's it's tricky. It but... is wild, and for those for those listeners who don't know, if you're if you're not familiar with the trapping world, you know I'm not a big water trapper. You're you're a much better and bigger and more uh, you know professional. I don't know more more accomplished water trapper than I am by far. I just dabble in it. But the one thing that I love about it, you talk about fur, water bear, water bear, water animals. Their fur is so awesome compared to land animals. I mean, a county is really soft and and and, you know, there, there's some neat fur from land animals. But water, man, you get an otter. The, the best the best fur in the world I've ever seen is an otter. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, I, I actually read a stat that it's a million follicles per square inch. I, that sounds astounding to me. I don't know if that's actually true. But I know it's some of the thickest fur I've ever felt in my life. It's, it's just amazing from a water animal. It's crazy because they look like crap swimming in the water when they're wet. But when you take home any type of right. water animal and you blow it out, and it stands up, and all the yeah. hair is there, all the uh, the guards on it. Like, it is a beautiful, beautiful animal. And you, you have to remember, too, is they're super thick and dense because of the they're in the ice and all that stuff. It's incredible fur. Like a beaver skin, yeah. a beaver fur, is the, it's the most softest yeah. thing. I have a pair of mittens that I had made. Oh my, they A, warm, B, they're just like, I just rub my face with them constantly when I'm on the trap line because they're just so soft. But it's, there's yeah. so many things that come from that when you're trapping because like you can, the, it's just amazing. The The furs are just incredible from all the animals, even, but, but well, like you said, to your point, like water animals, they're incredible fur. The fur is just every single one of them, yeah. all the way even down to a muskrat. Yeah. I had a muskrat tanned, and he's over there on on one of the end tables, and it's just it's you pick it up, and it's just it's like luxurious. I mean, it's you know, well, you think about meat coats and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. just like it's amazing. So, I, you know, that's a good point too. I mean, I wish you know that is the one thing that PETA and some of the other stupid organizations out there that are so misguided and and so you know they have no idea you know the, about the natural renewable resource and how how they're bastardizing the whole. You know, the whole industry with all this green plastic polymer crap that they would rather replace fur with, uh, you know, I, I wish that we could get Americans to support the fur industry again and realize that what a sustainable, renew, renewable resource that is so much greener, if you think about it, than, than the, the plastic nylon industry crap that's out there, the fake fur stuff that, you know, it. You know, it doesn't decompose. It, you know, the, you can go into it if if you if someone's listening, they're like, I don't know, Greg, that doesn't sound right. I, I can't believe that real fur is greener than than nylon and plastic and polymer and stuff like that. 
do your do your homework. And you know, we're not going to get into it a whole bunch here. But if you're listening, you're like, I don't know. Go Google, <laughs> Google fur versus nylon, and, and how green, real, sustainable, renewable resource fur is. I wish Americans would get back into supporting that industry. So I'm gonna. There was a question. So we had a ton of questions from you know Instagram, Facebook, and so on because we said we were gonna do this, and I and. One of the things why we wanted to do yeah. this was to kind of see or answer some of the misconceptions that some of the people may have that maybe aren't trappers or maybe some of the questions that they have about trapping like yourself wasn't into it but want to get into it. And there's some of those questions. But one of them, you know, Brian uh, Nightlinger had asked um, was explain why the pelt prices were, have plummeted while the predator numbers have increased. So... Going mm-hmm. along with that, yeah, you that, just kind of answered part of it. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think we t- we touched upon this a little bit too. So uh, before this podcast even started, we were talking about that about you know th- the two biggest examples I can I can say this, and if you'll allow me just a little bit of latitude to get the two examples, and then I'll tie it in to answer Brian's question here. You know, you think about wh- what have antis, you know, if I use that term in general. What have antis tried to do? They try to stop hunting, right? Well, they weren't successful at it, in it. So you look in some of the western states where they're introducing wolves. Well, if I can't stop hunting, what am I going to do? I'm going to eliminate the thing they are hunting. So if I can't stop hunters, I'll stop the thing they're hunting. So we we introduce a bunch of wolves and get this feel-good social crap going where we can introduce a whole bunch of wolves. They decimate the mule deer, the whitetail, and the elk especially. And if you look at the numbers of, of the elk herds out there, they're just plummeting by, you know, by 10,000% over the last five, six, seven years. There's nothing left to hunt. They've accomplished their mission. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of hunting, but there's nothing left to hunt. So, so that's an example. Number two, we've had a hard time outlawing guns because people, people in America, we're going to live and die by our guns, right? So what have we seen the industry do? Well, we can't get rid of the guns. We'll get rid of the ammunition. And, and ammunition is hard to come by sometimes, mm-hmm. especially depending on who's in office, right? And, and so, you know, it, I know somebody's going to go, well, there's no way you're making that correlation of who's in office to, to ammo supply. Yes, I am. <laughs> I mean, there, there are times that it's, it's really hard to get ammo. And, and, and I think there's a reason by that. There's not, it's just that's not a fluke. And, and so if, if we can't get rid of the guns, we'll just get rid of the ammo, right? Well, those two examples... If you parlay that over to answer Brian's question, well, let's not out. We can't get trapping outlawed, but we'll outlaw the reason for trapping, mm-hmm. right? So if if the fur industry goes away, well, then what's the point of trapping, right? And there's a handful of us left that are doing it because of you know the heritage, the the woodsmanship, the passing on the history, the things like that, the the all those things. We're we're, we're keeping this tradition alive for those reasons, but but we've seen a lot of people fall by the wayside because. Well, uh, county felt's not worth but three or four bucks now, and it used to be worth thirty or forty, mm-hmm. right? And so, so you lose that that wholesale ability to to market your furs is gone. And so, I think I know that's a weird way of looking at, it, but I think that's the reason why fur prices and and all these things because they took away the market, and, and and it was a very intentional thing to do. And that's why you see fur, fur prices and fur markets go down. Is it was it was by and large it was very intentional. 
So this had all started in the 90s, right? Where Hollywood had, with a lot of the anti-trapping things, and they didn't want to use furs back then. That was one of the big things. Get rid of furs, and then we don't have trappers, so on and so you know. And it piggybacks off of what you were saying. And a lot of that has to do, too, Russia and China had a big part in that, where they flooded out the market, they brought down the prices. They do that a lot. That happens a ton with with foreign countries you know, bombarding the, the, the trading of, of all of that. So that happens a ton. But one of the things that they did and going back on, on the whole Hollywood thing, the Hollywood thing, they had, that was for the anti-trapping, right? Well, where they screwed up and this is new for the past couple of years is they brought back Hollywood has brought it back. The, 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 the TV show Yellowstone has done numerous things for me, myself, oh. honestly, as a water trapper. Beaver pelts are through the roof. Are through the roof. Greg, I'm getting somewhere right. between $35 and $45 a beaver pelt right now. And this is the deal with it. They're green. Awesome. I don't have to flesh them. I don't have to do a thing with them. And what oh. they do is I'm selling them green for that price because – what they're doing is they're taking they're not even using the the and this this is going to hurt my this hurts my heart just as it's going to hurt yours they don't use the fur on it they're using the leather to make cowboy hats and it is totally just drove yep. it through yep. the roof and it's beautiful great thank you all right what's next yep. you know but but it i think that it's like you said they they've tried getting rid of it, so they brought in more predators. So now we have more predators, but a lot of people don't want to trap because there's no money in it. But it's not the money aspect; it's the heritage. It's learning how to flesh an animal, how to use it. You know, of the bringing even back even more. The Indians they use every piece of it. That's what this all was. This was the heritage that we were built in on was trapping, and you need to understand the sport. You know, yeah. and it it kind of upsets me about them getting so much money for them green because I feel as like the trappers ourselves will lose that heritage of prepping and going through the work and what it is to take that animal and owing it that respect, you know? And that's one of the things that comes very high with trapping in my opinion. Right. Right. And then just to round out the second part of the answer to Brian's question there, I, I think cause, cause I know there's going to be listeners that are more well-versed in economics than I am. You know, there's, there's something to be said about the, the ruble and the dollar and the yen and all that stuff. And when inflation hits hard over there and those guys are struggling to, to make a grilled cheese sandwich for, for dinner, right? They can't afford the fur. And so there, there's a secondary reason behind it with inflation and the, the yen and the ruble versus the dollar. And, and I'm no, you know, I've got several degrees, but none of them are in economics, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not even going to pretend to go down that road. I do understand when inflation over in Russia is really bad, they can't afford the furs, and then all of a sudden, then the market gets flooded with even more because they're not being sold, and that plays a part in it. But honestly, I think that's secondary to the the vendetta and the attack on the industry as a whole that I mentioned and outlined at first, because I, I, I truly, I see that as a bigger threat than inflation. Mm-hmm. So I did want to acknowledge it, though, because there's going to be listeners out there who go, well, it's not just someone's out to get you. It's also inflation. Well, inflation plays a part of it, but I'm maybe I'm more of a conspiracy theorist than most, but I think it's because people are out to get us. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's absolutely true. Um, 
I'm just going to read through this real quick. Uh, oh, Jacob Parker had asked yeah. on, the, on the Instagram. You might have saw this one. And it said, uh, it would be nice to hear about a trapper's perspective on the mortality of uh, trapping fur-bearing animals that wouldn't be eaten. Also, the emotions and thoughts behind the process and if it's changed since we, he started trapping and what it is said to people who ask about why he traps and people who oppose it. Yeah, so uh, so why I trap, and, and more so, I think the first part of that question, if I heard it correctly, was trapping trapping animals that we don't necessarily eat. Uh, so let's handle that one first. So number one is you'd be surprised at the animals that we do eat as, as trappers. So I, I've got a video on my YouTube channel it's called Can You Eat a Bobcat? And we, we definitely eat, we eat almost all the bobcats we catch that I choose to keep and, and harvest. We eat the tenderloins and, and the hams off of the bigger, choicer cuts of meat we do. And, and some people are going like, you eat a bobcat? That's not much more than a house cat. Well, the, the, here's what we got to think. For what I'd, I'd heard about trappers doing this, I heard it was a delicacy. And I got to think about, man, mountain lions out west, pe- people go pay thousands of dollars to eat, go, go mountain lion hunting. And they say hey, it's some of the the best cuisine you can have, right, is a mountain lion. Well, I'm like, well, if a mountain lion is that good, a bobcat's got to be pretty darn good too. And that's why we were like, hey, if I take a bite out of it and it's not worth fitting to eat, you know, I'll spit it out, right? right. But it wasn't the case. We we, we chunked up the tenderloins on bobcats and deep fried them. And like that, I've got a video on it on my YouTube channel showing exactly how we do it. And it's nothing more than basically like deep fried turkey turkey nuggets. And um, and, and they're awesome. So we eat bobcats, we eat uh, uh, beaver. We've eaten mm-hmm. beaver before. I, I a lot of people eat raccoon. I, I have not. I'm like, okay, if it gets that bad, that I need that. I, I'll go shoot another deer. But uh, but we do. We definitely eat beaver and we definitely eat bobcat. Now for things that we will not eat, I, I tell you right now, I'm not eating coyotes. Uh, <laughs> so so that's that's on my do not eat them. But but I have no problem harvesting. And this is one of the times I will use that word because I'm I'm a big anti-PC guy, right? Anti-political correctness. I hate using the word harvest when I'm talking about deer hunting. I kill deer. Um, you'll never hear me say I harvest a deer. I kill them. Um, but I will use it this in this term here when I harvest a county because I selectively choose to take it. Like we talked about, it's a, a catch-and-release sport. Once he's in my catch circle... I still I have a choice to let the animal go or to take it or to kill it or dispatch it. And so if I choose to take that animal, uh, I'm not going to eat him, but I do so with the intention of wildlife management from a biology-based and wildlife management sound science-based perspective, meaning that God put it in my belief system. If you, if you go back and read Genesis 1 through 126, he gave us dominion over this earth and the animals to, 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 to oversee them and to make sure that everything stayed in control, right? And that's, that's our role as, a, as stewards of his land. And, and when I choose to, to, to go out and help manage that population, I, I think in my heart I'm fulfilling a God-ordained purpose of, of walking this earth and helping manage the wildlife. And whether even if I, even if I don't eat that animal, I, I'm helping keep the population in check. And we've seen what has happened to animal species and populations that go unchecked with mange and starvation and overpopulation and things like it's a it's a very, you know, animals don't die in a hospital bed with their relatives sitting by their waist, by their bedside, reading, you know, bedtime stories. They die in the most cruel, 
just, you know, think, you don't even want to think about how bad mange is on an animal. And so when we go out and keep those populations in check, we're doing those animals a service by keeping their population strong and healthy. No, and I and I agree with you. There is there's a lot of them that that do get eaten, like beavers, beavers and beans. There's a lot of them, you know, that are good eaten. But like you said, you're doing that a service by taking it and keeping the population in check. But also that it is being used properly. It's furs being used properly. It's glands. It's oils. There's a lot of those things that are reused. So I think it's above eating them. Like where guys take deer, right? So you're going to tell me that, okay, they eat the deer, but they throw the skin away. What's the difference of me keeping the skin and throwing the deer? You know what I'm saying? So like we're doing, we are using it to the most of our resources in my opinion. But if anybody wants to talk about, hey, you didn't eat the coyote or something, I'll put them in the freezer for you. You're more than welcome to come and take them. Like, go ahead. You know, like, just. Yeah. That's a good point. And, and here's my second thought on this about, you know, why do you choose to go kill a county in, well, well here's the, or a bobcat. Well, well, what about, so, so my question's always been when I think about that is, well, what do you choose as a, as a human being that has some authority and control over the wildlife population? What do you choose? If you choose not to regulate the coyote species, then you're by default giving up the fawn and turkey population, mm-hmm. right? If you choose not to regulate the predators, you're giving, you're saying, okay, I don't care about pulse and quail and fawns and all that. I'm just giving that up. Mm-hmm. Or you can manage the predator population and say, okay, I do care about the other. The, it's a yin and a yang. And so it's disingenuous to me to say, I'm not going to regulate predators, but I care about animals. Well, do you? Right. Do you really? Because if you care about the animals, then you've got to care about the fawns and the turkey poles and everything else. Which, which is it? You can't have your take and eat it, too. Absolutely. And, you know, there was another question on there, and it was from Chad uh, Ketch. He said, any people on here trapped to protect the turkey populations? I've been thinking about it. That's 100%. Why, that's why we trapped. 100%. I've got a – yes, 100%. I actually – so I've got a very good friend of mine who we're very blessed that farms 4,000 acres in, in Kansas. And we are one of only two people that he has in his whole sphere of influence. He allows to go turkey on that 4,000 acres. And he has invited us. We went out and tracked those farms in Kansas. I actually have a video on my YouTube channel called County Camp, a trip to Kansas. And it's a whole week in Kansas where we go and we just track those farms. And, yeah, it's a fun experience and it's a bonding experience. You'll see my boys in in those videos. Uh, It's a great time. But it's with the intent of managing the predator population so that when we go back out there in the spring, we have a more prolific flock and, and more numerous flock of turkeys to, to hunt and it, it helps him because he loves quail we don't hunt quail but he loves quail and we're helping manage that whole predator population through the act of traffic and it's crazy you start to see in a lot of the properties where i do a ton of raccoon and possum trapping and so on and so forth like there's I, i'll be honest and i call it call i call it as i see it right like if there's if there's a possum in a cage trap, it's getting dispatched. I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter oh, yeah. to me. I 100%. don't care. I'm not, you know, it. they get it. Raccoons get it. Like, I'm sorry, but if I'm on a turkey. Skunks. Skunks. If I'm on a turkey farm, forget it. They're all, yeah. everything is done. Because that, and you, you, over even one year 
of taking those predators out, you will see an influx yeah. in the turkey population because they're the, the, go, going into the turkey aspect of it. And and one of the things is yes, turkeys. If they lose one clutch, they can then have another clutch until they have a returning clutch. But it also is on the deducting every single time. So if they have 20 to start, their next clutch might not be 20. It might be 15 or 10. or, or they, might even, they might then finish with one egg. So it doesn't matter. So if you take out those predators, those, those, you know, those ground nesting things, they're you know, eating. They're not gonna, you're never going to have your turkey population come back. It's just never going to happen. Yeah, and I think you, what you pointed out, we, we probably need to expand and just clarify. A lot of people think of these predators running around chasing a flock, killing the, the adult birds, right? It's not necessarily that, although, you know, if you've been a turkey hunter, you've probably called in a, a county at some point just from making hen turkey calls, right? Mm-hmm. So they will, they will they'll come in and, and they will definitely kill adult birds. But really the threat to the turkey population is is them attack get binding a clutch of eggs and and just breaking them all open and eating them before they ever get a chance to hatch. And so you know I didn't really understand that just until probably a decade ago myself. And that's the reason why I want to ex- ex- explain that to our listeners. It's not the adult birds being killed. It's it's binding the eggs. And it's funny. So I have a video. I don't think I've ever released the video. We were in Turkey Camp last year. Um, and all the boys were inside the cabin. We we're having lunch in between, you know, turkey, you know, morning and, and mid morning turkey hunt. And I'm sitting on the table, and you know, we're down by the river. And I'm sitting there, and I hear, I hear this mallard, hen mallard. Just she was just going bonkers. So I go over, I grab my camera, I grab my binoculars, and I'm searching the bank. I'm searching the bank. I'm like, where is she? Where is she? And I know at this point she hasn't had her her little ones yet. And I see this thing dart, and I thought that it was either a bobcat or a fisher cat. And I'm and I'm watching it with the binoculars, and I'm watching it in the camera, and I, I, now I'm hollering to everybody. I'm like, boys, come down here. This is going to get good. Like, I thought that the coon was chasing the – the or I'm, at this point now I find out it's a coon, but I thought it was chasing down the mother duck. No, the mother duck was chasing the raccoon and chased it into the water because it was stealing eggs. It was going to the nest of the eggs, stealing the eggs and running back. And now the mother duck is chasing it, bombarding it. And you can see, I have the film of it. It's the raccoon with the egg in its mouth and the mother duck's right behind him. Like, because they're they're bandits. They're the worst of the worst. Like, they are... The nastiest creatures there is. They're just the meanest. They don't care, you know, and they kill everything. Yeah. I think right, while we're on right. the topic, it's worth noting, especially to the listeners that find this interesting and want to get started, there's no easier way to get into trapping than the nest predators. It's so easy and inexpensive to get dog proof traps. There, You don't have to worry about bedding traps. They're super easy to set, yep. and you get a lot of action. So, even if you're out, say you're trying to canine trap, you you might get your ass kicked trying to catch coyotes, but you can also run some dog proofs yep. on the line too. So you can scoop a, um, a, a coon or a possum along the line in hopes to finding a, 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 a coyote and a, and a canine trap. But uh, great place to start with a, with a half a dozen dog proof traps. That's so true. That's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and truthfully, I mean, truthfully, I mean, I love – going after coyotes and fox and bobcat, but specifically coyotes, I, I view as one of the most intelligent intelligent animals in the woods. And, and I, I, 
I chase them more so, to be honest with you, if you want to strip everything away from an ego standpoint, I chase them to match wits with them. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Right. To, to see if I can, if I can compete with them on their terms, uh, I'm just stripping away all the stuff and saying that's, that's what drives me. Yes. It's serendipitous in the fact that I'm helping manage the, the, the county population. I'm, I'm helping keep the, 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 them healthy from a number standpoint. I'm, I'm, I'm helping the fawns. I'm doing all that is serendipitous. In other words, it's a byproduct. If you, if you want to strip it all away, I love matching wits with that cowardy, right? But if you, but so, but that's, take that aside. If you want to do the most good for your farm, to your point, go buy you a dozen or two dozen dog proofs at your local 
you know, farm and hardware, tractor supply, rural king. There's a million places you can buy DPs at locally. And, and and put you out a dozen or two dozen, you know, dog proofs and, and catch opossums and skunks and raccoons specifically. Right. And, and you'll do more good for your farm than you ever could any otherwise. Right. No no dye, no wax, you, you know, all those nope. other tools you need for, be- I mean, it, it doesn't get any cheaper, simpler, easier, and, oh. and a lot of action too. Yeah. And and, and bait is, is really cheap. I mean, you go buy a, a, some mini marshmallows from Walmart, a little bag for $1.97. I mean, that's about all you need. Uh, when you get really sophisticated, like I, I did a couple years ago, I went to my local farmer's co-op, and I bought a 20-pound bag of, of game fish food, like it's floating game fish food, like you throw out in a pond to feed your catfish. It's kind of got a fishy smell to it. It looks like dog food. And I bought a 20-pound bag for 20 bucks, and I got a raccoon dog-proof bait for life. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it'll take me forever to go through 20 pounds of, of that stuff because you pour you pour just enough in to cover the trigger, so they reach down there and grab the trigger and pull out, and you got it. It's that simple. And they're fun. It keeps the kids entertained on the trap line. I mean, it just doesn't right. it doesn't get any better. It really doesn't. Like they're fun as hell. They're cool. Yeah, and they're pretty. They got they got pretty fur with the mm-hmm. bandit mask, as you called it. Well, go a bandit. You know, got the pretty mad. The ring tails. You know. You catch them after you know after Thanksgiving, they're furred up beautifully. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're pretty animals to catch, but you're doing a world of good for the for the farm. And you know, going on your point too, I mean, like the coyotes, like it can get it can get nerve wracking trying to catch them, and you cannot, you know, you the thing with them is you have to stay on them. You cannot give up. Like you get into, and especially yeah. you know, and going back on the betting aspect, if you don't bet a trap okay. properly. You're talking one of the smartest animals to ever walk the face of the earth at that point because now it is it is keen to what is going on. It has now smelt the bait. It's been in one of your sets. Yep. It knows what's going on, and now it now it has it with danger. Forget it. Like forget it. Like watching. Yeah. We used to trail camera all of our dogs, our dog sets, and yep. watching a dog come into a set and how, you know, sometimes they'll work that trap two, three nights before they actually get their foot in it because they'll work it. They'll kind of get uncomfortable. They'll back up. And then the next day they'll come into it. Like there it's, I know why you have that ambition to want to catch every dog on the face of the planet. Yeah. Cause it's like a, it's like a complex <laughs> at that point, Greg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've been fortunate. I've run a lot of cameras over my sets, and I've got a lot of that footage in, embedded into my YouTube videos on how to trap coyotes and stuff on the channel. And, and it's really cool watching them, to your point, come in and, and, and see how they approach a set, how they work from behind it, how they pee on it, whatever. And, and we've learned, you know, over the years that we'll make some what we call flashy sets, you know, big dirt hole sets, T-bone sets where you get a cow's vertebrae, you know, make a T-bone with kind of a flashy T-bone. And then I'll make some really subtle sets, maybe right across the pathway or so, you know, maybe a, maybe a urine post set or what we call a triangle of death, where we literally just take a stake driver and we drive in three holes in a triangle and bed the trap right in the middle of them. And we blend it in with scissors. I'll, I'll, I'll cut a, a, tough, a big handful of grass and just cut like every inch, uh, the scissors, the grass into scissors and just blend it. And literally you cannot see anything there. Even if you're a fellow trapper, you can walk up under one of those sets and you would not see because there's just three holes buried underneath the grass. And I'll drop a Q-tip with a three different baits or three different lures in each hole. And you can't see anything there. 
but a coyote can smell it from probably 25 yards away and they'll come over and they, they smell a three different scents and they'll they'll walk back and forth and you know they'll they'll move back and forth and, and eventually they're going to step in the middle between those three and you got him we we call that you know there's various names some people call it a compass set yeah that's just what my buddies and I called it as a triangle of death whatever it, it but the 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 set works and and so you know but we'll blend in really subtle sets sometimes I'll I actually have a, you're going to see it by the end of this trapping season. I've got a, this idea for a video. We're going to drive, drive to a farm that we trap. And I'm going to stop. I'm going to have my boy film this. And the title, you'll see the title on my YouTube channel. It's going to be, We Caught a Coyote on This Rock. That's going to be the title of the video. I'm going to pick up a rock on the side of the road and take it to the farm we trap and just set it down out in the middle of the pasture. And I'm going to drive a little punch hole, a stake hole underneath it even smaller than a mouse hole and drop a Q-tip down it and bed a trap out in front of it. And I'm going to catch a coyote on it. That's going to be the video. But I love subtle sets like that combined with the flashy sets. That's where you can start really playing some middle games with those things. And, and that, so, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to add, so at that point, <clears throat> is that rock basically eye appeal? So that coyote's going to come through that pasture that he's been through a yeah. hundred times and he's going to say, "Where? what is that? There you and go. He's gonna, He's going to come check. He's probably going to circle downwind side, catch a little whiff of that lure, and, and he's done. Yep. Now, do, one of yep, the questions. That's exactly right. Uh, you know. Oh, go no, go ahead, please. No, I, I was just going to make a real quick point to, to, to round out that thought process. It, it's, you know, we talk about, you know, getting in a big buck's bedroom and, and how that's akin to a person's bedroom. You move a lamp in your own bedroom and a big buck is going to notice it, right? If you cut too many, too many shooting lanes and things like that, I think it's the same thing in a county's world, if not more so. They run that pasture every few nights, right, when they're making their loop. And you get a, a rock. I mean, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And, and I'm just going to talk about a rock that's just a little bit, maybe maybe the size of a football between between a softball and a football, it's going to stand out like a neon beacon out there for that sucker. And uh, yeah, that's so, so that's, that's my video. I, I've had that idea for a couple of years. I'm going to, I'm going to film it this year. Just, Hey, I caught a county on this rock and, and we can get into that later on too. Save that topic for later. Cause you can get in a trapping on the cheap. You, it's not an expensive sport. You can use Q-tips and, and feathers that you, keep off a duck you killed or a turkey or a rock you pick up off the ground and we can talk about that later on but you don't have to spend a lot of money in trapping so, the, anyway i know you had a, a question Trevor. yeah no no it's, i mean it's all good I, one of the things that i wanted to you know you just brought up a very good point about doing it on the cheap and some of the other things like when you're cat trapping a lot of the things i did some research uh trapping for the state because we're trying to get a bobcat season here and i've trapped a ton of them um just messing yeah. around, cage trapping, fox trapping, you catch them in the trap, you know, and they get fun and they get dangerous, but, you know, and, and I think felines are probably yeah. some of the most dangerous animals when it comes to trapping them. They can get wild. Like, yeah. I've been in some weird situations with cats, um, especially cage trapping them, where you have to then release them out of a cage, and a lot of the times they burrow back and yep. they snarl at you and they jump at you and they get weird. Oh. Um, but like you can use a CD and kind of get there, you know, we yeah. used to take CDs and we used to hang them in the trees and feathers and all Pencil this other from, stuff. from the Christmas section at Hobby Lobby. Mm -hmm. They're just like house cats. They literally like, are just like, like house cats. Yeah. Um, to go yeah. on that yeah. with the sense. Yeah. So that's a great point. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that's a great point. I tell people all the time that 
I, I love matching wits with a with a coyote because I think they're extremely intelligent. I think they're 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 among the most intelligent critters in the woods is a coyote. But when you get one in a trap and you walk up onto it the next morning and do your trap check, by and large, and you know this, by and large, coyotes will hunker down a tower away from you. They're they're not super aggressive usually. Um, but a cat is 100% opposite. A cat wants to let you know he will tear you from limb to limb if you get close enough. And, oh, my gosh, there's nothing like walking up on a, a really large, and when I say really large, I'm talking a 30, 35-pound Tom male bobcat. You you hear these these Internet rumors and myths about 50-pound bobcats? I, no, no. But if you can get a 30-pound male bobcat, that's a huge bobcat. And he will absolutely let you know. I mean, they sound like a lion when you walk up. I mean, there's just this deep rumble and growl. And they're just sitting there, like, letting you know, like, buddy, one more step in your mind. And, and you don't get that with a coyote. You get that, oh, I don't, don't you know, they're, they're just they're just backing away. And for, for the most part. And, and cats, oh, God, I love walking up on a bobcat. That's, that's, I love trapping. I love going after. I love chasing coyotes, but I love walking up on a, on a bobcat. You, you know, when you walk up on a bobcat for the first time and he's got a an MB550 strapped to his hand and you just hope that it's he do, he's not toe-caught, that he's definitely palm-caught because you're like, he gets oh, yeah. under that you're, chain. You're see if it's a full bad cat right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> It'll test your wits. And yeah, you know, that, oh, uh, you know, one of the first cats we ever trapped uh, was funny. It was in an MB550 because we started off with those. And, uh, but... But he, uh, we walked up to it, and, and my, my oldest now, who's, gosh, he's 20 now, but at the time he was like six or seven, it was our first cat we'd ever trapped. And, and we walked up to him, and, and, you know, the catch circle's there, and he's standing outside the catch circle. I've got a picture of this, but I don't have, I wish I had a video. But I actually have a, a couple still photos because I had a old Nikon D40 with me. But he's standing at the edge of the catch circle, and he's looking for it. And he's all, and this is my six-year-old, whatever he is. He's all big and tough, and he's hissing and spinning and snarling at that cat. You know, he's just like, he's antagonizing it. You know, he's just a kid, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, that, that cat is like, I've had enough. And that cat made it to the end of his chain in about half a second and came within about a foot of my son's face. And, all he, I mean, he about crapped down both legs. It, it was so funny to watch. I mean, I had a good full pad catch. I wasn't worried about it. You know, I know some listeners out there are like, oh, that's a bad dad thing. The cat wasn't going where he was fully caught. But he hit the end of that chain, and uh, it was so funny. And, uh, but yeah, we we dispatched the cat quickly after that. But, yeah, they, they want to let you know they were lost. I think even as a grown man stepping up to a cat in a trap and you kind of – it starts to give you a little – this hair stands up on my back just talking about it, to be honest oh, with yeah. you, because it's it's yeah. it's something else. It really honestly is. Um, yeah. Going back on the cheap aspect of it, uh, there's actually another question James had asked. What, what are the different scents uh, you use and when do you use them? Are there different months for different sets? Um and he just he was he just wanted to know that. Yeah, so so there, there's basically you can boil down boil down everything into two different categories. You got baits and you got lures. Baits are more food based. I will typically drop a bait down like a dirt hole or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, I started off with baits, and over the years, you know, we've been doing this for twenty twenty five years now. Uh, I over the years, I I kind of noticed a pattern that the more baits I use the more non 
the more non-targets I was getting, I was getting more possums and specifically I was getting a lot of skunks. And, you know, as a trapper, you know, tra you can make a lot of money off a of skunk if you know how to process him right and get his, his scent glands out and things like that. But they can also be very problematic, as you can imagine. And and I really don't relish the thought of rolling up on a skunk very often. I, I've learned over the years how to dispatch them without the spraying. And, and if you're listening to this, if you want to go to my YouTube channel, I've got a video on explaining exactly how to dispatch a skunk without a spraying. But don't believe the myths on if you shoot them in the head, they won't spray. Or if you shoot them in the lungs, they won't spray. Or if you shoot them here or the heart or whatever, you've got about a 75% chance he will spray. Unless you dispatch him the way I show on my YouTube channel. Um, but but baits will attract skunks by and large. So therefore, to answer this gentleman's question, we have gravitated mainly toward using gland uh, lures. They to me they evoke a more of a territorial response, and you don't get these non-targets coming in as much as I did using bait. So bait's got a place, especially in super cold weather when food food source is scarce. And, and you're not finding, you know, if, if it's not been a, if you're not at the end of deer season and people throwing deer carcasses everywhere, you know, maybe bait can really draw something in. But we've really, to be honest with you, we've almost quit using bait on our line. We, we really gravitate more toward gland lures, bobcat gland lures, county gland lures. We use a lot of gray fox and red fox gland lures because they're lower on the totem pole in the, in the world of predators. So they don't scare away everything else. Uh, urine, we do use a lot of urine post sets. Uh, we'll, we'll throw, we'll make a rub post set for bobcats or something like that. I made, I put in two walkthroughs for walk for bobcats today and I put glandler on, smeared it on both sides of a tree so the bobcat may come up. Like you said, they're like an overgrown wild house cat. They want to come up and rub on something just like a house cat wants to rub on your leg. And so we use a lot of glandlers. Yeah. I, now, one of the this is there's a couple this is kind of redundant to some of the questions so I'm gonna kind of eat through it but um it says um what what would you rather trap a smart beaver or a smart coyote? <laughs> and, well, that, that's easy for me because I think I answered a question earlier. We we dabble in water trapping, I and I am very well aware of how educated a beaver can get and how how hard they can be to trap after they've been educated. I've heard the stories. Mm -hmm. I, I know, I, I know that is, but just for me, we, we just dabble in water. So, so for me, it's a, my answer is going to be a smart county because we're, we're land trappers and I, I love going after those counties. That, so that's my first, I know there's a lot of trappers out there who go, man, there's nothing like matching with, with an educated beaver. It's, you know, one of the things with the educated beaver aspect where when you snap a three thirty in a beaver's face, they obviously get educated to it, but there's nothing that I, you know, the advantage I think where, you, where a water trap will say me, I, the advantage I have as a water trapper over you as a land trapper is me as a water trapper. If I snap a three thirty in his face, I'm just making a caster set or a dam set and I'm footholding him. He can never see a foothold and he's done. I can kill him the next day. I snap a three thirty in his face. He's dead tomorrow. I guarantee it. Like, I have that versatility to be able to change it where a smart coyote, you're not changing that. You, you literally, you have that one set or it's another set or whatever the kit you can change up lures, but you're really, you're stuck to that one thing. There's some tricks that we still got to get his foot in that one inch square for sure. Yep. I mean, unless you're snaring them in a pass through or something, you know what I'm saying. I mean, but there's very, very few times. I mean, if you're gonna get them in a foothold, you're gonna get them in a foothold. That's the only way it's gonna go. I mean, we one of the tricks we yeah. used to do with smart coyotes 
uh, we used to, a lot of the times we'd take small mice and we would take them and we would put them in yeah. a jar alive with a couple of kernels of corn. And then now, you know, you bury it in a dirt hole set. You can never, I don't care how smart that coyote is. If he hears a live mouse in a jar and <laughs> he's coming to it, dude, you're going to catch him. You know, <laughs> I mean, that was when, when we were kids, that's what we used to do. We used to catch field mice. Um, yeah. I've never thought of that. That's pretty cool. But I actually do, because uh, we live right at the edge of the woods in our subdivision. I mean, literally, it's all nothing but woods behind us. And anytime there's a temperature change, especially when it starts getting colder, we have mice that try to come in. And so I'll, I'll end up setting five, six, seven, eight, ten, just literally mouse, Victor mousetraps. Mm-hmm. And I can fill a Ziploc, a gallon Ziploc freezer bag of mice from, from trapping around behind the house and sometimes in the house, you know. And, uh, and yeah, I, I throw those down dirt holes a lot. So yeah, that's, there, that's something that, that would be about the only bait that I use. It, it's, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's a normal thing and they just cannot have enough of them on field, you know, hedgerows and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, when they're searching those hedgerows, one oh, of the, yeah. we used to live trap the mice and then we put them in little tiny Mason jars and put a couple kernels of corn and they hear them snapping and cracking. They can't, they can't help themselves. <laughs> they don't have a clue and it's game over. Their foot is in the trap every time. You got to watch your state laws though. Cause sometimes you can't have, live. I was thinking that I, I was going to, I'm glad you said that. Because yeah, somebody you know, and, and that's something too. If anybody goes, because I've, I've mentioned, you know, if anybody goes and watches any of my YouTube videos, they've been very successful on trapping videos on my channel. Uh, you know, I use duck wings and and turkey breast feathers mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Again, if, if watch your state laws because in Missouri we're allowed to do that. Yeah. There are no limitations, no regulations. I can, I'm free to hang a duck wing. I can spread turkey feathers out, you know, from their breast if I'm plucking a a turkey that we kill in the spring, we're free to do any of that. Other states, like I said, you've got to use a CD, like an old mm-hmm. music CD. You've got to hang Christmas tinsel. There, there's things like that. In Missouri, I'm allowed to use a, an electronic call in conjunction with a foothold. It specifically allows that in the in our state state laws. And so, you know, there, there are little squeaker things that will run for, you know, a week and a half and make a little electronic mouse squeak. And sometimes I will hang those up above a cat set to help draw a cat in. So there's all little tips and tricks, but the the point we're making here is check your state laws to make sure that you're legal. Yeah, because there's – so, like, we can't have any visible bait. Uh, That's one thing that we can't have. We cannot – unless – the reason we're using the CDs and stuff, you're not allowed to use – like you were saying (laughs) – you're not allowed to use feathers and stuff. They can't be visible because of birds of prey and so on and so right. forth. They don't. Our state doesn't allow it. We yep. were doing educational things, so we were allowed to do such thing. But you got to make sure to check your laws because when it comes to trapping, and and that's another point that I don't think that we've talked on when we talk about antis and all this crazy stuff is that these antis are always looking for a reason to then attack trapping, right? Like you're always in the eye of an anti, right? I've had so many traps stolen doing nuisance beaver jobs when they see them. I mean, I don't know why they're grabbing 330s out of the water, but they're out of their mind. Uh, Foothold traps, MB750s, I mean, trying to snap them, put rocks in them and stuff like that. But like the antis are always on you. So out of sight, out of mind. So when you're going to trap somewhere, check them, you know, if they're in the public's eye. Check them early morning before anybody gets up. Yeah. You know, like, they're going to use yeah. anything against us. So always keep that in the back of your mind. When they have a a, a little tiny cute raccoon and a dog proof, they're going to try and use it against yeah. you. So you kind of got to – and that's one of the yeah. things I definitely want to hit home. Like, 
out of sight, out of mind, really, when and, it comes to trapping. Yeah, and, and you brought up a you brought up a good point there. This this is a little bit of a stretch, but I think it's a good segue too, because this is something that's always bothered me as as a bow hunter and a fisherman and 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 a, just a general outdoorsman, and, and, as well as a trapper, is all these communities that I just listed off seem like no one really wants to pick up the, the mantle and fight for the trapper. And, and and so you've got a small, even within the trapping community, you've got a very small subset of the tra- trapping community that's willing to buck up and stand up against these individuals and fight for them. And, and by and large, the, the bow hunter and the gun, the deer hunter and the rabbit hunter and the pheasant hunter and the turkey hunter and all this are like, oh, well, if they get, if they get rid of trapping, no big deal. Well, what they don't realize is that's a foundational block. The the antis pick their spots and then they'll move on to the next one, right? They're it's, they're not just out to get rid of trapping, right? And then they're going to go, okay, we're done. We're never going to go after anybody else again, right? So I, I think the rest of the outdoor or sporting community needs to needs to stand up. And go, wow, we need to stand up with our fellow brothers or with our fellow outdoorsmen and, and help these trappers you know, maintain their tradition. Because if we don't, we're next. Mm-hmm. And and so that's that's a big thing that, you know, I, so just always kind of people just don't seem to care. And I'm like, you better care. No, and I totally agree where trapping is one of those things that's, like, super easy, right? Like, it's like that it, – it's very easy for the antis to come in and say, oh, that's so dangerous and it's so bad. And, like, in the public's eye, going back on the point that you had said on ignorance – where people are very ignorant to what trapping is with it being a restraint and it looks so bad. Like when you, you know, we talked about walking up on a cat and how like fierce and crazy it is. But if you walk up on a raccoon in a dog proof, it just looks like a little tiny, cuddly, nice, beautiful teddy bear. And if they start taking pictures of that stuff, now you're, you know, it's a very easy in for them. Trapping is a very easy in for antis where. When you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. And the, those bow hunters are next. The rifle hunters are after that. You know, like it's it's super simple. So we have to kind of respect your trapping and your heritage there. But also us as bow hunters and outdoorsmen, we need to stand behind the trappers. Um, because it's, it's an easy attack. Trapping is an easy attack. Yeah, and I think you made one last point. That, yeah. I, I thought about this a couple times throughout this podcast, and, and I think it is a good time to bring it in because I know somebody's going to be listening out there, and if you've made it this far, you're probably thinking, well, these guys are talking about sitting there and, and watching an animal in the catch circle, or they're talking about, you know, ta- I know someone's thinking this in their mind. We haven't said it, but you're, you're talking about taunting or teasing an animal to get him to, to react. And you allowed your six-year-old to hiss and spit and snarl at him, right? And and you're 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 doing this uh, all that time that animal is in a trap and he, he's heard and you know that's the mindset that these people that think this have is that well you should go up and dispatch that animal as quickly as possible but and, and not sit there and look at him because he's hurt or or he's in pain or or he's whatever 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 you're thinking and, and that's the notion we need to to dispel that animal isn't hurt that animal's not in pain the animal's just being restrained there. He just can't get away. 
That's it. We go back and think about it. We talked about my six year old stuck his hand in the exact same trap that we county trap with to a farmer and said, Here, this is what happens. Right? That animal isn't hurt. So when you've got this mindset of, Oh, I can't believe you're sitting here looking at that animal, you should dispatch him really quickly. Why? He's not hurt. He's just sitting there. So again, it's like you you can't you can't go, well, he's not hurt, but then you should dispatch him quickly. Well he's he's not hurt. He's just, you know, it gives us a chance to interact with nature on a scale or a level that most outdoorsmen can never do. And no, we're not going to sit here for an hour and look at this animal or whatever, but for two or three minutes, take a picture or two, in my mind, there's nothing wrong with that. That animal's not hurt, and then we're going to take care of him and either let him go or do that. So I wanted to point that out because I know there's some listener somewhere that that's been running through your mind this whole podcast. So... Just wanted to address that. You brought up a really good point, and and you had said before where you had you know a false catch with you know a domestic dog, um, myself included. You yep. know, I had one of one of probably close to one of my first land traps was a, a Jack Russell. Um, we were doing some nuisance trapping on some coyotes that yep. had some problem on a farm, whatever. The barn dog happened to be a Jack Russell, and you know. You know, coyote, just like a domestic dog, they smell those, you know, them them long-range lures and so on and so forth. And and the trap set up well. I must have done it just right. And he stuck his foot in it, and the landowner hollered, you know, called me and said, you know, hey, Trev, just letting you know the neighbor's dog is in is in a, in a trap. And, I, you know, I walked him through it, and I said, you know, step on the sides. It'll spring him right out. He'll be fine. He goes, right. you know, is everything going to be okay with him? I said, yeah. I said, after after you're done, stick your hand in it. It doesn't hurt. Like you didn't, I didn't break the dog's leg or nothing bad happened. The dog was fine. The neighbor was right. like, yeah. I tried keeping the dog in. They knew that we was trapping back there, and it went on their way. You know, you don't. Yeah. I mean, how many dogs or animals have you trapped one year and then you trap them again the next year? You know, like it it doesn't do anything to them. You don't. I mean, okay, if it was so bad that it broke their legs, we would come up to traps to cat traps or dog traps and it would have half of a leg in it then because they would just break. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't, that's not a thing, you know, it's just restraining right. them. It's just like a cuff. Yeah. It's like a cuff that the cops put on you. It's just, it's what I, it is. I think that's an, another thing that Hollywood didn't do us any favors with. I think a lot of people are out there have the notion of the, the old bear trap, right? With the, with the jagged teeth jaws and all that stuff. And I think that's what they, they envision when they think of a, a of a foothold trap. Yeah, well, how many cartoons have you seen that showed traps with teeth and stuff like right. that? And and you know the modern trapper traps by and large haven't changed over the years. But what we have got very we've become very good at and adept at is understanding the importance of jaw laminations. And all my traps are laminated. And if you wonder what a jaw lamination is, it's adding a second layer of steel across the, the jaw on top of it so that it makes that jaw twice or sometimes even three times as thick. And, and the reason for that is if you think take a spatula like you would use on, on your outdoor griddle, like a blackstone or something like that. If you take that spatula and slap your wrist with it straight up and down with it on its edge, it's going to hurt pretty bad. You turn that spatula flat and slap your wrist with it, not a big deal. Right, because you're dissipating that strike force across a much larger surface area. That that's what's happening. So the same thing with jaw laminations. All my traps are, are laminated. 
so that when you close up, it's not a thin piece of steel hitting. hitting. Now, beavers and stuff like that that you're going to drown, uh, yeah, they're not laminated because they're going to die in two seconds anyway after mm-hmm. I drown them, right? But but all my land-based coyote and bobcat traps are all lamb. They have all lambs on them, so that they, that close up on it, and there's a broader surface area holding that leg, and it doesn't break. I bet I've caught, to your point, Trevor. I bet I've caught over a dozen house cats in my bobcat trapping pursuits. All, they're all feral. They're all wild house cats out there. They're not pets, right? They're just out there living, and they're probably more detrimental to to the ecostructure than than the bobcat itself is, right? Because I mean, you read the stories about how how house cats and feral cats kill all these songbirds, and they they're responsible for you know all these extinctions and stuff like that. But I've caught over a dozen feral house cats out there. I've never broken the skin on one of them, not one, because I've examined their paws as they've been in the trap. I've never even broken the skin on them. And, and that's due to jaw laminations. It's also, I always triple swivel my traps. So I run multiple swivels on my trap chain so that you, if you go watch any of my videos on, on my YouTube channel, you'll see sometimes I walk up on a coyote and he starts flipping and flopping and twisting. Well, if, if he's got multiple swivels, he's not going to hurt. He's not going to put any pressure on his shoulder, any of his joints, his elbow, his paw, anything like that, because he can just twist and twist as much. He can twist it as hard as content. He's not going to hurt himself because it's multiple swivels through there. So that's one of the things here that some of the laws with land trapping here is we have to have padded jaws. So all of our traps have to have padded jaws, and we have to have triple swivels also. So we have to have one at the base of the. Um, okay. We have to have one at the base of the trap. It has a swivel. Then we have to have a spring with swivels on either side of it. So we not only so that the shock absorbent is right. taken up as they run to the end of the chain. So we have a shock, and then we have two swi- So we have to have three swivels on a chain. They have to be a certain length. So there's a lot of laws here locally that we have to do that are normal precautions that I feel that should be oh. abroad um, with the swiveling, the at least the lamination. Right. We have to run padded, but yeah. Yeah, and I think most trappers that are pretty conscientious and ethical, they're doing that on their own anyway. Like I said, I, we have no laws that state that I have to do that, what I do. Right. But, you know, I, in the case that I get a non-target animal, uh, you know, I want to be able to let him release and go about his way and he can go back to his homeowner or, or whatever. And, and that's one of the things. So land trapping is where now, you know, we have to take those precautions because of, you know, pets, domestic animals, so on and so forth. Water trapping is totally different. Like they're instant drown sets. Mm -hmm. You're taking them instantaneously. Like there's no, I mean, it's the most humane way you could take an animal. Like it's, it's lights out every single time. And a lot of the times when those water animals, a lot of times are nuisance where the beavers are now taking up properties. I mean, especially suburbs and stuff like that. So like, they, we're taking the things out of there anyway, you know. So it's it there. It's null and void. I mean, they're we're gonna we have to get rid of right. them and 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 stop the population as they are. They breed like like rabbits, anyways. So it's just they become a kind of a pain in the butt when it comes to that. Yeah. So. Yeah. The reason why is because people came out to their hobby farm or whatever and get rid of a beaver that things that you know they're ornate ornamental you know maple trees or whatever japanese this and that and beavers are just knocking them down like crazy and they're like can you come out i'm like i know it's just enough to be dangerous with water trapping yeah i, I can i can come out and help you a little bit 
<laughs> at least at least you get rid of them and they don't have to worry about it and then it's all done and over with you know that's that's the worst thing with the beavers they yeah they can they can make a mess pretty quick a beaver is no joke they make a mess so quickly yeah um yeah. oh yeah i i believe statistically they do more crop damage than any other animal in the u.s i heard mm-hmm. They flood all kinds of stuff, ruin everything. Yeah. They're they're brutal, and and it only takes two or three of them to right. really put the hammer on everything. Like they, they'll ruin everything in no time. We have a ton of places that we trap because of them, and there's only three of them in a hut. I've seen a few spots down my area because we didn't really have beavers in my area when I was a kid. But it's like one of those spots where. There's no sign of beaver, and then all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, <laughs> like, what happened here? Like, <laughs> they came out of nowhere. Right. And have you guys ever seen the picture of, like, when they den into the side of a, a big creek or something like that, and they bury up, and then they excavate out their hut in, you know, in the den internal, and then a combine comes by and sinks into it? I mean, those, that can wreak some havoc. Those are the hardest beavers to trap. When you're trapping those type of beavers, those, you know the the um the the um, uh, we call them bank beavers. I'll tell you, they are some of the hardest to trap. Bank beavers oh. are the hardest to trap when it comes to it. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> we actually we there's a lot of irrigation. You probably pretty pretty similar to what you're used to. You have ag fields with the irrigation that runs up and down them, and they make the burrows inside of that irrigation. Uh, we were coon hunting one time. And the dogs went in there. The coons went inside there. And then they went in. Uh, it was an absolute nightmare. They wreak havoc when it comes to that. Especially, I could imagine, with out west, with the with the farmers, like you were saying, the combines falling inside of them. And stuff. That, that can't be good at all. Do you got anything else you want to add to? No, man. Uh, I think we've covered everything other than the fact that, you know, I think the big thing to push is that we just talked about is, is if you're looking for a great way to get your kids outdoors – Trapping is 100% a great way to, to get the youth involved. Get them to, uh, you know, I, I think we hit on it pretty well, but I just want to circle back to that, is that, you know, get your kids involved. Buy, buy a handful of dog proofs, like you said. Help your farm out. But, man, what a way. I've got a Facebook friend that just started last night, went out and got some dog proofs from his local tractor supply company and took his kids. He's got pictures on his Facebook feed today. Of, he's got two little guys, and they're both out there. They're excited about putting dog proofs in. And so I think it's a great idea, you know, start little, uh, but you know, there's so much, so much education out there. Now you can figure out how to do what, what I was scared to do and couldn't figure out how to do as a, as a, as a junior high guy. Now there's a man, there's such a, a wealth of knowledge of information out there. So take advantage of it. And, uh, man, if you got any questions, just hit us up. Any of us yeah. guys out here. I mean, we, we, we've kind of bumbled around this thing along that kind of know what we're doing. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. If anybody does need anything or whatever when it comes to it, please reach out to us. We'd be more than willing to point you in the right direction. Greg has a ton of YouTube and stuff. Why don't you share yeah. with them where they can find you um, if they're looking for some of those videos and stuff? Yeah, so my YouTube channel is called Stags in the Wild. So that's my last name, S-T-A-G-T-S, Stags in the Wild. And I've broken my YouTube content down into playlists. So I've got a mobile hunting playlist. I've got a one-sticking playlist. And then I've got a playlist called Trapping, Predator Control. And so if you go to that that playlist on uh, on my YouTube channel, you'll see you know how to catch a bobcat, how to catch a coyote, how to make dirt hole sets, how to make T-bone sets. 
you'll see all kinds of I actually even have one video on water trapping, Trevor. But uh, it, like I said, it's it's just dabbling. So, but yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that how to how to wax and dye your traps. I've got videos on that in there. So it's from from A to Z. Uh, I, I don't have any fur handling videos, but but there's plenty of those on the net too. Well, we appreciate it, Greg. I think that they can find enough information between all of us, um, and uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. And I don't know what topic we'll come up with next to have you back on, but we really do appreciate oh, it. <laughs> I know. Catfishing. Oh, cat! that's right. We got catfishing. That's right. Catfishing. <laughs> Dude, catfishing. That's Book it now, baby, because that's going to happen for sure. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, yeah, catfishing. Oh, see, <laughs> see the smile on his face. He's ready to rock and roll. Well, everyone, well, we'll have Greg back on for catfishing. And uh, we really appreciate you jumping on. And for everybody else, thanks for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive. Recordings.